and good evening to you. Hello, hello to all of our listeners from all over the world. We're here for this March 24th, 2020 episode of Marriage and Family Clinic. You may be listening to us on WGPL, WPCE, WBXB on your radio here in Southern Virginia or Northern North Carolina. You may even listen to us by way of internet at www.christianbroadcastingcompany.com. However you're listening to us today, we're so glad that you joined us. I'm truly honored to have you join in with us. And at the beginning, at the top of the show here, I just want to give a shout out to uh, one of my spiritual daughters who served with us in Japan. Just want to give a shout out and, and uh, send some blessings by way of Sarah. God bless you, Sharon. See you soon. Uh, last uh, uh, week, I made the last installment on the 12-week series on men and their issues. Uh, it's hard to believe, but it was at least 12 weeks dealing with men. That's three months in which we discussed the particulars of being a man and some of the challenges that men face. Wish I could have said more because there was so much more to say. And after 12 weeks or after three months, whichever one you want to call it, I feel like I missed so much and I wanted to say so much. Yet what we did cover, I believe, was enough to give most any man some very serious help in getting on the right track and staying on the right track, figuring himself out. And now it's time to move on to the next subject area. And just before we get into the next subject area tonight, I do want to uh, pause and and uh, I want to give you a word concerning our current situation. I know everything is topsy-turvy, uh, dealing with the uh, coronavirus or COVID-19. Uh, the whole country is on lockdown seemingly. This virus outbreak has literally altered the way that we live. And some men and women of God who have preached for a long time, you can't have church by internet. You can't have internet church. They find themselves having internet church because of this virus outbreak. So be careful what you say and how you say it. Make sure that what you say is truly rooted and grounded solidly in scripture because you may find yourself eating your words. Uh, but again, this, this virus has literally changed the way that we live. And uh, I don't mean that to be illustrative. I mean, our lives have literally changed and we don't know how long this is going to last. We don't know uh, when life is going back to the way that it was. We really don't know that life will go back to the way that it was. And I believe me personally that uh, things will get better, but it should not go back to the way that it was. Going back is never a good direction. Uh, this virus has multiplied exponentially over the last week or so. It, it pops up seemingly out of nowhere and shows its ugly head out of nowhere. Uh, we don't know where it is or who has it. And so the best protective measure we have so far is social distancing. And it's really not social distancing, it's physical distancing, but we're maintaining our social status uh, via the, the help of social media. And again, be careful what you teach, especially from the church and in the name of the Lord, because you may find yourself eating your words. A whole lot of preachers have condemned social media. And again, they find themselves relying on social media to continue their ministries. 
Now, as a result of this virus, schools, businesses, even churches have closed their doors. And most of us living now have never seen anything like this before. But I want to encourage you today and let you know there is no need for the believer in Jesus Christ to cower in fear. No matter how many plagues struck Egypt, they did not come near Goshen where the Hebrews lived. No matter how many plagues struck Egypt, all of the damage, all of the chaos, all of the horror and the sorrow in Egypt, it didn't come to Goshen, where God had the Hebrews camped out. And the Hebrews had found out themselves that God has a secret place. You know, your, your self-talk, I'm telling you this today because here's something important I want to share with you. Your self-talk is the determining factor in any circumstance. Matters not what the test of the trial may be, the way you talk to yourself, what you tell yourself about any situation, especially difficult and trying situations and times. What you tell yourself is going to determine whether you're victorious, whether you're defeated, whether you're encouraged or depressed, whether you feel good or bad, whether you have high self-esteem or low self-esteem, what you tell yourself makes the difference. You're going to keep pressing forward or you're going to quit and give up based on what you tell yourself. And in times like these, I'm telling you, we need the right self-talk. The plagues that struck Egypt didn't reach the Hebrews in Goshen because God protected his people. And you and I are God's people and he's still in the protecting business. We can turn loose God's protective measure in our lives by the way that we talk. Let me say that again. We can turn loose. We can unloose. We can activate God's protective measures in our lives by the way that we talk. Our self-talk can draw God's protection to our lives. And I went into Psalms 91 just a moment ago. Psalms 91 does echo God's protective measure over his saints even today. Psalms 91 tells us how to talk to ourselves in times of testing and trial. Psalms 91 and 2 says, I will say of the Lord, there it is, I will say. I'm not going to wait for someone to say for me. I'm not going to call up someone to say it for me. I will say of the Lord. That's self-talk. And I'm telling you, your victory, your defeat is determined by your self-talk. Your joy or your sorrow is determined by your self-talk. Your pressing forward and giving up and turning back is determined by your self-talk. I will say, well, what shall I say? In Psalm 91 and verse 2, I will say, God, you're my refuge. I trust in you and I'm safe. I want to quote this from the Message Bible. I'm going to say, God, you rescue me from hidden traps and you shield me from deadly hazards. I will say your huge outstretched arms protect me. Under them, I'm perfectly safe. Your arms fend off all harm. I will say, I fear nothing. Not wild wolves in the night, not flying arrows in the day, not disease that prowls through the darkness, not disaster that erupts at high noon. I will say, even though others succumb all around, they drop like flies right and left, no harm will even graze me. Now that's how you talk to yourself in times of trial and testing.
You say only what God agrees with. You say only what God has inspired, what God has dictated to his men and even to his women over a millennia. You talk about God's virtue and God's power. You say only those things that esteem God higher than everything else. You don't claim and fear and talk about how bad the coronavirus is in the face of God, but you lift up God in the face of the coronavirus. The coronavirus is popping up everywhere, but God has already been there. And God remains there. God is everywhere. Even when you talk about yourself, you only say about yourself what God says about you. I want to encourage you today with this. Your self-talk is going to drive you to praise or drive you crazy. I heard on the news today that a man heard the president say that this particular drug would probably help you. This man had no symptoms. This man was not sick, no sign of sickness nowhere in his life. But because he had been telling himself how bad things were, he took a medicine that he thought the president was referring to, and he died. I'm telling you, what you say to yourself, how you talk to yourself is going to make all the difference in the world. And don't pay any attention to these people who tell you that you're crazy when you talk to yourself. You find me a person who does not talk to themselves. It's perfectly normal to talk to yourself. And your self-talk will make all of the difference in the world. You know, I'd love to stay on that, but I want to move on into tonight's broadcast. The subject of self-talk is not foreign to marriage and family clinic. And welcome you once again to this episode of Marriage and Family Clinic. But the subject of self-talk is not foreign to us here at Marriage and Family Clinic. I've dealt with this in the past. You will convince yourself of whatever you keep telling yourself. You just need to make sure you're telling yourself the right thing. You know, over this past weekend, I was wondering what subject area I would deal with uh, uh, now that, that we're done with the series on men. I thought about all that we've covered in the past and what I have left out. Uh, how many subjects have I left out? And the subject of sibling rivalry came to me. So I want to talk tonight about sibling rivalry. And yes, it's going to take a couple of weeks, like everything else. It's going to take multiple weeks. Uh, I, I think what I just said about self-talk is a good segue into the subject of sibling rivalry also. And why would I say that self-talk is a good segue into the subject of sibling rivalry? I say that because sibling rivalry gets its life, it gets its power, it gets its strength from how we talk to ourselves about our families. Sibling rivalry is animated and sibling rivalry is energized by the things we tell ourselves about our place among and our relationship with our families and in the fam uh, with our siblings and in the family. It is as good or as bad as we say it is because we believe and we act on what we keep on telling ourselves. So if we keep on telling ourselves I'm last, then we're last. If we keep on telling ourselves that our brother or our sister is more important than we are, then they become more important than we are because we begin to act 
less important. We will assume the negative aspects of what we keep on telling ourselves. What is sibling rivalry? That's a great question. The New World Encyclopedia, as well as other sources, tell me that the term sibling rivalry was first coined by psychologist Dr. David Levy back in 1941. Dr. Levy used the term to define the inherent contest between brothers and sisters for power and influence in the family and throughout life. We oftentimes think of sibling rivalry as occurring between small children in a family. But I'm telling you, that sibling rivalry that began as small children in the family will accrue to those children certain emotional experiences that they don't get over and they carry that into adulthood. I'll get to that momentarily. Sibling rivalry begins at birth and it does definitely continue through adulthood and old age. Uh, uh, if there is a family that has more than one child, it's safe to say that that family is familiar with sibling rivalry. No amount of money or social status can immunize a family against it. A family cannot withdraw themselves from society, live up in the mountains and protect itself because sibling rivalry happens within the context of the family. It's sibling rivalry, not friend rivalry. I may offend a few folks with this, but sibling rivalry is so natural that prayer, prayer cannot prevent it, will not prevent it. Prayer definitely will control its impact and help you mediate it, help you mitigate it. But it's going to happen. Prayer will not eliminate it, but prayer can mitigate it. Got more than one child in your family? then expect sibling rivalry to show up. You can mitigate it. And maybe we'll get to talk about that in the next week or two. But you can't stop it. So, mom and dad, before you start feeling too guilty or being too hard on yourself because your children squabble and squabble and squabble and squabble, you should know that you're not alone. You're not the first and you certainly won't be the last. You're going to have to deal with sibling rivalry. Now, my family, my family oftentimes tells the story of my older brother and me. Uh, he's about five, five years older than me, or maybe five and a half years older than me. When I was brought home from the hospital right after birth, I was resting easily and comfortably in my crib or the dresser drawer, wherever moms had me. Uh, when my older brother, who's again about five, between five and six years older than me, my older brother takes a switch and commences to teach me who's who in our family sibling rivalry already. You understand me, right? That was my first experience in sibling rivalry. Lord knows I'm glad I can't remember any of that. One mom told a counselor about an incident in which her older son punched her younger son in the belly really hard. Now she's afraid to leave them alone by themselves. Somebody else told the story of how their daughter was excited to become a big sister. Now, and that, that's when her mother was pregnant, while her mother was pregnant. But after the baby was born, that same older sister started crying, whining, throwing temper tantrums, sucking her thumb, just regressing, just acting like a baby. Why? Because of sibling rivalry. 
Keep in mind, sibling rivalry continues into adulthood and old age. Have you seen adult siblings competing with each other for honors of one sort or another? Have you seen adult siblings trying to one-up each other? One is excited to make partner at a law firm, but the other sibling comes back. I did that several years ago. One sibling says, I bought mom a so-and-so for Christmas. The other sibling says, but I bought her a bigger one last Christmas. More bells, more whistles. All these, you, you get my drift here. All these examples represent sibling rivalry. Adult siblings try to outperform, out-earn, out-climb, and out-social, uh, out-professional each other. And they just try to outdo each other in everything. Again, you may be able to mitigate it, but you cannot eliminate it altogether. The relationship among siblings can turn hostile in sibling rivalry and even aggressive. They are competing in younger children who are less emotional mature. Sibling rivalry often shows up in some sort of outburst. They can't handle what they're feeling. They feel like their place in the family is threatened. They feel like the attention they're getting from mom and dad is threatened. They have to share it now. And one of the, the uh, uh, general characteristics of a child is selfishness. This is all about me. I'm the center of the universe here. But it shows up in tantrums. It shows up in, in, in kicking and hitting, choking, fighting, yelling, name calling. That's what we see in children. Some adults too. It also shows up when one sibling plots against the other to get the sibling in trouble or to get more time and attention from one or both of the parents. Then there's the ever, tro ever troublesome stealing from each other. That's sibling rivalry. It doesn't always have to be hostile or include violence or other outbursts. A good example is the Property Brothers, Jonathan and Drew on HGTV. If you're like me, you watch them often. You love seeing them fix those houses. You know what? They're twins with two totally different personalities, but they admittedly compete over almost everything. I don't know what it was like when they were children, although I highly doubt it was as much fun as they make it appear to be today. So sibling rivalry is not an automatic bad thing. It's a thing that parents must not ignore and should move wisely to moderate. Because if left untreated, siblings can very well become bitter enemies. If not monitored closely, siblings can become bitter enemies. You know, it would be something if, if mom, uh, uh, Jonathan and Drew's mom and dad, they must have been some wise folks. They must have been some very experienced folks because their sons became partners in life. Their son became uh, 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 ride or die brothers for life. Even though they still compete, it's a healthy competition competition they have makes each other better. They've learned how to manage it. So they must have had a very wise mom and dad. So moms and dads, hear me here. If sibling rivalry goes unmonitored, if you don't control it, if you don't take steps to help it out, take the right steps, your siblings could very well become bitter enemies. And that's trouble at a, and that's the trouble we see at a parent's death. It's not uncommon. 
after a parent dies, it turns into, I did more for dad than you did. I went to see about mom more than you did, but I was there for mom more than you were. The siblings are still competing. Sibling rivalry goes all the way back to the beginning. Sibling rivalry calls Cain to kill Abel. Then there's Jacob and Esau who competed against each other for the mom and dad's affection. There's Leah and Rachel who competed for the same man, Jacob. Who can forget Joseph and his brothers who threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery? Soon after Moses delivered the Hebrews from Egyptian bondage, his brother and his sister became jealous of him. Sibling rivalry all throughout the Bible. Let us not think that Bible characters were all uh, living the same virtuous lives as Jesus did. They experienced the same troubles, the same difficulties, the same trials and tribulations as do you and I. In the book of James, James writes that Elijah, with all of his power as a prophet of the Most High God, was a man subject to the same passions as we are. You know, it's inappropriate to inflict violence and pain or misfortune on anyone, let alone your sibling. And inappropriate behavior must be dealt with as soon as possible and as early as possible. I'm trying to tell you here, I'm trying to tell you, there's no need for you to feel like you're special because your children seem to be at each other's throat quite often. You're not alone. You're not the first and you definitely will not be the last. Sibling rivalry is a common dynamic in the life of a family. Just don't go into denial and pretending everything is okay. Pretending you don't have a problem when you really do. It's definitely inappropriate to hurt one another. Even though sibling rivalry is a normal occurrence, it's abnormal to allow it to fester. You have to teach your children conflict resolution. Teach your children love and affection, consideration, empathy. Teach your children sharing and caring. Teach your children the meaning of siblings, brothers and sisters. Teach your children the purpose of family. Teach your children the mission of your family. Teach your children. You can do these steps and monitor and moderate the impact and the influence of sibling rivalry on your children. And they don't have to grow up carrying this sibling rivalry baggage into adulthood. You know, we're going to get into this in a couple of weeks to come here. We're going to be dealing with it. But you ought to be asking yourself, do I experience sibling rivalry in my life as a child? You may be an adult now. Probably more adults catch this broadcast than anything. But ask yourself, look back over your life. Are you still in competition with your siblings? How do you feel? How do you think? How do you act? How do you behave when you go to the family reunion or when you go home and you, you're together with your siblings, with your mom, your dad, if they're both living still? How do you feel? Do you feel some things that you felt when you were a child? Then you've got some emotional catching up to do. If that's you, you have some emotional catching up to do. You may, you just may be still feeling the effects of sibling rivalry. When you and your siblings get together, 
Do you defer to one or the other? Do you acquiesce to the whims, to the desires, to the requests of one or the other? Do you allow the older sibling to have his or her way more often? Do you still find it difficult to deal with, to talk to, communicate with your siblings? Then you, then you could be experiencing the effects and the impact of sibling rivalry. It's real, folks. It's real. And again, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about this because there are some things we want to get into more of what sibling rivalry is. And I want to talk about the dynamics of sibling rivalry, where it comes from, how it gets going, what's missing in the in the emotional life of the child who experiences sibling rivalry, what's missing in the emotional experience of the adult who brings that rivalry baggage into adulthood with him. We're going to get into it. I mean, we're going to get into it. And we're definitely going to be talking about some steps and some strategies to help you mitigate the impact of sibling rivalry. It's going to take us a couple of weeks, but we'll get through it. And as always, if you have questions or if you have comments about sibling rivalry, why don't you send them to me? You can email me at cdhodges at hotmail.com. You can inbox me on Facebook, Bishop Carl Hodges or Bishop Hodges 1. You'll find me there. Send me your questions. Send me your comments. And as always, I even solicit your questions, your comments regarding the broadcast. Let me know if we're doing any good for you. Let me know if we're wasting your time. If you have uh, subjects that you would like to hear discussed here, let me know that. Again, email me at cdhodges at hotmail.com. Inbox me on Facebook. And listen here. You know, I, 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 uh, Upload these broadcasts to the internet and you can hear them as podcasts anytime you want. If you want to hear this broadcast or any other, you can simply go to iTunes and search Bishop uh, or C.D. Hodges. Uh, if you search C.D. Hodges, you'll come up with Marriage and Family Planning. Again, if you search C.D. Hodges, you'll come up with me and Marriage and Family Clinic, or go to your smart device and any podcast player, any podcast player at all, if you search C.D. Hodges, C-D-H-O-D-G-E-S, search C.D. Hodges, you'll come up with Marriage and Family Clinic. You'll find this there. And I'm saying that uh, tonight, especially uh, reaching out to folks all over the world, you know, I'm seeing uh, as I upload these to the Internet on my podcast carrier, I have statistics there and they tell me everywhere in the world where people are listening to and downloading the marriage and family clinic broadcast. Man, I've seen uh, broadcasts downloaded as far away as Australia, uh, Japan, uh, several places in Europe. Uh, many states in the United States of America, in Canada, uh, just all over the world. Literally, Marriage and Family Clinic is being heard all over the world. But I want to reach out to you all over the world who are listening to me, wherever you're listening from. Why don't you communicate with me and let me know what brought you to our broadcast? What keeps you coming back? Wherever you're listening to us all over the world, reach out to me. Email me at cdhodges at hotmail.com. Let me know what you got out of this because I'm, I'm seeing too many downloads. I'm seeing too many listeners. Uh, uh, 
for us not to be doing any good. So I won't believe that we're not doing any good, but I need to hear from you so that we can know exactly what good it is we are doing. I really need to hear from you. So please, again, if you want to email me with your questions, with your comments, with your subjects that you're requesting we discuss, email me at cdhodges at hotmail.com. Inbox me on Facebook, Bishop Carl Hodges or Bishop Hodges, and look for me on any podcast player. Just search C.D. Hodges. You will come up with marriage and family planning. Hey, listen, I'm just about out of time here, down to my last minute, and my time is about gone here. But I really do. I really want to appreciate you for joining us in Marriage and Family Clinic broadcast. But most of all tonight, I want to encourage you to lift up your head in these trying times. Lift up your head. Look to the skies. Look to the heavens. Because your help comes from heaven. Your help doesn't come from the hills. You've tried everything in the hills. And you continue to worry. But look to heaven. Look to the Lord. Walk in faith and not by sight. Place your hope in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who will wipe every tear away at his appearance. Straighten up your back, straighten up your knees, wipe your tears away, shake yourself. You're not going to fall under this thing. You shall live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. Get on your knees and pray for those who are sick, shut in, who've lost jobs, whose children are out of school. Walk in faith and not by side. Guess what? You and I, we're going to make it. Hey, I'm out of time and I got to get out of here. But again, appreciate you joining with us. We're going to see you next week on Marriage and Family Clinic. Got to get out of here. Remember, the only way to have peace is to surrender your life to the Prince of Peace. God bless you. I'm out.